Today on The Matt Wall Show, I want to talk about a story from Stalin's Soviet Russia that uh, seems harrowingly relevant today. So we're going to talk about that. Also, five headlines, including the rampaging mob tearing down a statue of Christopher Columbus in Virginia and HBO banning Gone with the Wind because it isn't racially enlightened enough by our standards today. We have officially entered the book-burning stage of our societal collapse. Isn't it wonderful? And today in our daily cancellation, sadly... Uh, tragically, my wife must be canceled again for the fifth time, I believe. You will be outraged and, uh, and truly scandalized when you hear what she did. Um, so that's coming up as well. Now, I believe I've mentioned this story before, ma- many shows ago, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself. But I've been thinking about this a lot, uh, especially recently. There's, a, there's a, a book that I know I've mentioned before, and that's called The Gulag Archipelago by Solzhenitsyn. This is uh, his his masterwork, his uh, magnum opus, and he had a lot of great opuses, opi, maybe is the plural of that. So to say this is his greatest really says something indeed. The Gulag Archipelago is about the Soviet Gulag system, uh, their prison camp, labor camp system, and the book, it's three books actually, uh, three volumes, it covers several decades with a significant focus, especially in the first volume, on Stalin's reign over the Soviet Union. Solzhenitsyn uh, knew something about the Gulag system because he spent a good amount of time in it. He went to a prison camp, I think, for seven or eight years. Uh, He suffered the same fate as many Soviet soldiers did after coming home from the front during World War II, uh, after seeing some of the most brutal and and violent fighting in the war, in any war. uh, A lot of them came home and were shipped off to prison camps on some, you know, on one pretense or another. There were, a reason was found many times to send them back because of a suspicion that the Soviet government had that these people were, you know, may have encountered Western ideas, and so we need to go and and sort of reset them, re-educate them by sending them to a prison camp. The reason that Solzhenitsyn was sent to prison camp is that he wrote some critical things about Stalin in a private letter to a friend. And of course, those letters letters were intercepted and read, and uh, that's a big no-no in a communist dictatorship. You don't say anything bad about the communist dictator. And so he went to prison camp for seven or eight years. The book is not a memoir, though, not exclusively anyway. It's it's also a history of the labor camp system and of Soviet Russia. Uh, A chilling read, highly relevant, highly relevant to our current situation. And I think one of, the, one of the many failures of our public school system is that high school kids are not required to read all three volumes of this book, or even one volume of it. Uh, one of the many failures, although I suppose it makes sense. I mean, why would a prison camp want its inmates to read a book criticizing prison camps? Um, in any case, there are many stories from the Gulag Archipelago that will haunt you and stay with you after reading it. One in particular has been on my mind really ever since I read the book, but uh, which was a few years ago, but especially in recent months and especially in recent weeks, I have been thinking about this story. Um, an incident is recounted that, well, actually, I guess I'll just, I'll read it to you. I'll read, I'm going to read um, this passage from the book, so bear with me. And before we do that, I want to tell you about our friends at Lightstream. You know, um, saving everything you can right now is uh, is more important than probably it's ever been for a lot of money, for a lot of people, that is, including on your credit card balance. I mean, you want to look for all the areas uh, of your life where you can save money. 
a lot of people are, are having to um, tighten the belt in, in a lot of ways. And when you look at your credit card balance, there's an area where you could save money. You can get a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream, and you could save thousands in interest. Get a rate as low as 5.95% uh, as APR with AutoPay and excellent credit. The rate is fixed, so it will never go up. You don't have to worry about that. It's not going to fluctuate over the life of the loan. Plus, there are absolutely no fees. So what you see is what you get, fixed rate, and you're good to go. You can even get your money in your bank account as soon as the day you apply. So this is fast. It's reliable, low rate. Uh, this is why people love Lightstream. And if you look at what the reviews, what people have to say about it, you're going to find that people love it. Um, this is a great opportunity. You know, if you have a problem with your credit card debt, it's just something that weighs on people when you when you have to deal with it. I've dealt with it. Well, Lightstream is the way to go. Apply today to get a special interest rate discount and save even more. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Walsh. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Walsh. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Walsh for more information. All right, so... A uh, story from Gulag Archipelago that really resonates today. Let me read this to you. It says, A district party conference was underway in Moscow province. It was presided over by a new secretary of the district party committee, replacing one recently arrested. At the conclusion of the conference, a tribute to Comrade Stalin was called for. Of course, everyone stood up. The, the small hall echoed with stormy applause rising to an ovation. For three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, the stormy applause rising to an ovation continued. But palms were getting sore and raised arms were already aching, and the older people were panting from exhaustion. It was becoming insufferably silly even to those who really adored Stalin. However, who would dare to be the first to stop? The secretary of the district party committee could have done it. He was standing on the platform, and it was he who had just called for the ovation. But he was a newcomer. He had taken the place of a man who'd been arrested. He was afraid. After all, NKVD men were standing in the hall applauding and watching to see who quit first. And in that obscure small hall, unknown to the leader, the applause went on. Six, seven, eight minutes. They were done for. Their goose was cooked. They couldn't stop now till they collapsed with heart attacks. At the rear of the hall, which was crowded, they could, of course, cheat a bit, clap less frequently, less vigorously, not so eagerly. But up there with the presidium, where everyone could see them, the director of the local paper factory, an independent and strong-minded man, stood with the presidium, Aware of all the falsity and all the impossibility of the situation, he still kept on applauding. Nine minutes, ten. In anguish, he watched the secretary of the district party committee, but the latter dared not stop. Insanity to the last man, with make-believe enthusiasm on their faces, looking at each other with faint hope. The district leaders were just going to go on and on applauding till they fell, they were, till they fell where they stood, till they were carried out on the hall on stretchers. And even then, those who were left would not falter. Then, after 11 minutes, the director of the paper factory assumed a business-like expression and sat down in his seat. And oh, a miracle took place. Where had the universal, uninhibited, indescribable enthusiasm gone? To a man, everyone else stopped dead and sat down. They had been saved. The squirrel had been smart enough to jump off his revolving wheel. That, however, was how they discovered who the independent people were. And that was how they went about eliminating them. That same night, the factory director was arrested. They easily pasted 10 years on him on the pretext of something quite different. 
But after he had signed Form 206, the final document of the interrogation, his interrogator reminded him, don't ever be the first to stop applauding. So there it is. Don't ever be the first to stop applauding. That could be the title of the book that some historian one day writes about our society and especially, especially this moment in our society. We live in a culture that demands we affirm mainstream orthodoxy by performing ever more elaborate displays of approval and adulation. It is not enough to simply tolerate. The days of tolerance are long past, which is why, if you notice, you don't hear that word quite as much as you used to. Because now it is affirmation. It is applause. It is pronouncements of your agreement and your admiration. That is what you're required to provide. Tolerance will not do it. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to be enough. Now, we see this, of course, with uh, every item on the left's agenda, particularly with anything related to the sacred initialism, LGBT. Okay, You can't simply tolerate the gay pride parade. You have to join it. You have to express your approval of it. You can't simply tolerate a man identifying as a woman. You must invite him into the women's bathroom, women's sports team. You must use whatever language he assigns, whatever, whatever, whatever pronouns he demands. The English language itself, the very rules of the English language must be changed to accommodate him. And on down the list. Applaud, join the chorus, don't stop, don't sit down. Look at that man in the dress. What, you, you won't cheer for him? You're not going to cheer? Tears of admiration and joy are not welling up in your eyes? Then you're a bigot. You're a dirtbag. You are Hitler incarnate. And now we see it especially with Black Lives Matter. Uh, and this is what has, 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 has really brought this to, to the forefront of my mind. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter, an extremist left-wing organization, a violent organization. But we can't say any of that. I mean, it's obviously true. Black Lives Matter protests all over the country have for years descended into anarchy and arson and looting and murder. But somehow we're not allowed to point that out. No, 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 you can't do that. No, no it, and it's not just that you can't point that out. It's not just that you can't point out how violent and dangerous and wrong this organization is about everything. No, 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 you, you need to kneel. Kneel before them, literally kneel before them in submission and worship, and then stand up and applaud. Whatever they say, whatever they demand, agree, approve, accept. Want to burn down a building? Want to burn down a police precinct? Go right ahead. And this is what many people do. This is what entire companies, billion-dollar companies, do. They've been tripping over themselves to throw their support behind the radical left-wing agenda of Black Lives Matter. What about George Floyd? Well, it's not enough to say that his death was unjustified, that it's sad, that it's uh, an injustice, that it should be adjudicated in court. No, 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 no. That, that's not nearly enough. You can't just say that. You, again, have to fall on your knees and worship this man as a saint, as a hero, as an icon. And, and don't you dare mention any of the, of the, of the uh, shall we say, less 
savory aspects of George Floyd's life. Don't mention that. And this is what's happening. Democrats in the House knelt in silence to honor him for eight minutes. Murals with his face are spray painted, are defacing, in fact, buildings across the country. He was buried yesterday in a funeral attended by hundreds, even as many American families have been prohibited from holding funerals with more than 10 or 15 people, and buried in a golden casket. A golden casket. I'm not kidding. Dignitaries and politicians showed up from across the country to performatively weep over him. Here's the mayor of Minneapolis who changed out of his wife's pants for the occasion, so I respect that at least. But uh, here's here's him at uh, George Floyd's golden casket. Now, I have been to plenty of funerals, as many of us have, unfortunately. You don't often see that sort of scene, even from the family members of the deceased. Okay, but, but the mayor, and the mayor didn't, didn't know this man. It's been weeks since this occurred. Are we supposed to, really? You're breaking down on the ground in tears, weeping. Again, I, you go to, if you go to, if you, you don't even usually see that from family members at funerals. Not, not quite to that extent. Although, of course, in their case, it would be totally understandable. But the mayor's playing his part, doing what he's told, doing is what is what, what's demanded of him, like a good boy. Here's Father James Martin, heretic priest, literally canonizing George Floyd in a tweet, or trying to at least. Uh, it says, the tweet says, this is not a great day for George Floyd, who only wanted to breathe, or for his family or friends who wanted him to live. May Mr. Floyd pray for us in heaven, forgive us for the violence we did to him, and for the disgraceful lack of sorrow, mourning, and remorse shown here, referencing something that Trump said. But listen to that. May Mr. Floyd pray for us in heaven. Now note that among Catholics, a saint is anybody in heaven. Anybody in heaven is a saint. So Father James Martin has declared that George Floyd is in heaven. He's Saint Floyd. Saint George Floyd. He has been christened. Again, I mean, this, this is... I keep, I keep using the phrase, I think, beyond parody, but it really is. May George Floyd pray for us in heaven? But he's playing his part, once again, doing as he's told, like a good boy. So whether it is applause demanded of, of us or weeping or any other emotion, and the emotion will be assigned to us, here's the emotion you're supposed to experience right now and demonstrate, and you damn well better demonstrate it, but whatever the emotion is, the principle is the same. It's the same that applied to um, that unfortunate but brave man who, 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 who had enough and sat down at that uh, party meeting in Soviet Russia. The principle is, is never be the first to stop applauding. And that is all the more reason why we should stop applauding. Someone, someone eventually has to sit down and say, enough, I'm done. I'm done with this charade. I won't participate. I won't do it. I don't believe this. This is crazy. This is irrational. Most of the people pretending to believe it really don't. And I'm not going to pretend anymore. I won't applaud. That is what we need to say.
whatever the cost. And we'll move on to our news headlines in just a second. First, though, um, you know, we've been telling you about Policy Genius. And if, you're, if you've been waiting to get life insurance, uh, well, then the question is, what exactly are you waiting for? You don't want to wait. You know, this is one of those things we put off, we put off, and put off until it's too late. With everything going on right now, a lot of people are asking if it's even possible to buy life insurance at all. The short answer is yes, it's very possible. You can buy life insurance during a pandemic. You can buy it uh, anytime you want. And if you have loved ones, depending on your income, you probably should. As an insurance marketplace, Policy Genius is in contact with the life insurance companies on their platform every day. They're keeping track of all the changes in the marketplace, so you don't have to do that. They're taking the hard work doing it for you, which means they can get you covered quickly and for the best price. Here's how it works. Policy Genius compares quotes from the top life insurance companies in one place. It takes just a few minutes to compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. This doesn't just save a lot of legwork. You also save $1,500 or more a year using Policy Genius to compare life insurance uh, policies. Now, that means that you know, you're, you're saving time, it's a lot less complicated, and you're saving a lot of money. $1,500 a year is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, think about what you could do with that extra money. So if you're one of the many people looking to buy life insurance right now, but you're not sure where to start, head to policygenius.com. Policy Genius will find you the best rate and handle the process completely. They'll get you and your family protected and hopefully give you uh, one thing less to worry about, which I think is something we could all use right now. All right. News headlines. Uh, number one, a statue of Christopher Columbus in Richmond was torn down by a mindless mob last night. They uh, tore down the statue, set the statue on fire, and then threw it into a lake. Once again, they were allowed to do this. They were allowed to destroy property, commit crime. No attempt to enforce the law was apparently made. Uh, now, now listen, if you are not speaking out forcefully against this kind of thing right now, then I don't know what to say about you. You're brain dead. You're clueless. There is a rampaging mob tearing down our history, literally tearing it down brick by brick, statue by statue. And, and, and you know what? However you feel about the person that the statue is supposed to represent, you should oppose a rampaging mob tearing it down. You should oppose that on principle. Now, and, and as far as that goes, though, let me say this about Christopher Columbus specifically. I think, I think more than the principle, when it comes to Columbus, you should oppose it being torn down, uh, number one, because we, we can't allow rampaging mobs to do this kind of thing. Number two, because Christopher Columbus deserves to have a statue. Now, did he commit atrocities? Yes, he did. This was a brutal time across the world. It was not a racially, racially enlightened time. Uh, it, was, it was a time when every single person on earth in, say, the year 1492, when Columbus is sailing the ocean blue, every single person on Earth in 1492, every single person would be racist by our standards today. Every single person on Earth, no exceptions. It is just impossible. It is actually impossible to believe that there was anyone in 1492 existing on the planet with uh, 21st century Western ideas about race. Impossible. There was nobody. Okay, that's, so that's something we have to keep in mind. It was also a, a time when slavery was commonplace across the world. Not everybody supported it, thankfully. Most people probably did. And it was a commonplace institution across the world. It was a time when land was taken by conquest. If you had land and you wanted to keep it, you had to protect it. If there was land and you wanted to take it, you took it. 
if you were able to. It was a time when people from different lands and tribes hated each other, reflexively. Uh, assumed the worst of each other. In fact, we, we, we still live in that time. It's just that the tribes are different now. They're more ideological than racial. Now, Columbus was guilty of all of that and more. And the thing is, no matter what you say, if you were born in the 15th century, you would have been a brutal bigot also. Doesn't mean you would have done everything Columbus did, good and bad. Um, but this much is a guarantee. If you were alive in 1492, you would be a brutal bigot. You just would be. Uh, Unless you have the arrogance to claim that you would have been the exception across it. Everybody else is one way, but you, you would have been the enlightened one. Yes, you would have been the one who could see the world, you know, who, who who could have a mindset that was 500 years ahead of its time. Yes, you, I'm sure you would have, right. Those people tearing down the statues. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they, they would have been the exception, right? They would have had the mindset 500 years ahead of its time. Sure, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, right. Now, does any of this excuse evil? No, but it puts it in context. And context is important. It's important to, to thinking people. It's important. Thinking, intelligent people with brains care about context. Because it, it helps us decide how to analyze, how to see things. But these mobs are not comprised of thinking people. These are ungrateful, ignorant, pompous brats who live in Western civilization, luxuriating in its comforts, enjoying the fruits of labor performed by greater men than themselves, while hating those same men and claiming that the achievements which they take for granted and which make their lives so easy and comfortable and wonderful and joyful are nothing. You know, it's common now to hear people say that Columbus didn't really achieve anything because this land was already occupied and he didn't mean to find it. So what? Are you really that stupid that you think that that makes it unimpressive? He set sail across an uncharted ocean thousands of miles to find a part of the world that that nobody in his world knew about. And he established a permanent settlement in a hostile wilderness and then repeated that feat three more times. Did he know where he was going exactly? No, because this was a 15th and 16th century. He didn't have GPS. He didn't have the internet. He didn't even have a map. You know why he didn't have a map? Because guys like Columbus created the map. We needed men like him to go out and sail around and discover stuff so that we could have maps that later generations could use, so that we could understand what the world was like. Is that an achievement? Yes, I would say it is. It's a greater achievement than anything you will ever do in your life, or that I will ever do. And and, and by the way, this idea that it's not impressive because people live there already. Okay, so in the future, when a space explorer sets out for a distant solar system and on the way bumps into an inhabited planet, discovers uh, life on another planet, are we going to say that that achievement doesn't matter, that it's not impressive? (laughs) Whatever. I mean, yeah, he discovered a planet with inhabited life, uh, intelligent life, uh, you know, three billion miles away. But uh, he, he he didn't even mean to go there. He was going to that solar system over there. What a moron. What a dummy. Is that what we're going to say? Pretending that this event doesn't radically transform our world and our understanding, our understanding of the very very reality of the world we live in is not, is not now being uh, transformed because of this? No, I I hope we would not say that. And the comparison is 100% apt. 
What Columbus did was at least as impressive and significant as discovering a new planet in outer space. In fact, I would say probably a lot more significant, whether it's more impressive. I mean, it's, you know, that we could debate that. Is that worthy of a statue? Yes, I would say it is. Until the non-contributing idiot dumb brats tore it down. And one other, one other point here, if, again, if, if you think this isn't impressive, okay, then, you know, just give it a shot. I mean, go to, um, even with all of your modern understanding of everything, you know, you, you understand, you know more about how the entire world looks, what the entire world looks like than Columbus did, not because you're smart, not because you're smarter than he was, but just because guys like him told you what the world's like. Um, but anyway, even with that modern understanding, Try to, you know, set off in a, in a ship from, I mean, anywhere on the, on the, on the East Coast. I mean, just take the, the outer banks of North Carolina, let's say, and uh, just, just, just head that away uh, and try to see if you can land on, I don't know, Ireland. Hey, these are all known areas, okay? See, see, see what you can do. Uh, by the way, no GPS. You don't get to have that. No map. You don't get that either. Um, no, no help of satellites. No radio. So if you get stranded out there, you're screwed. You're dead. So you're going to know going into this that there's a very good chance you'll die. Very good chance. You're going to do it anyway. Um, and see if you can make it. I mean, see if you can even hit anywhere on the other side of the world. Just, just try to try to make. In fact, I'll give you the the entirety of Europe and uh, and uh, and Africa. And West Africa. I'll, I'll give you all of that. Just try to hit any part of that without dying or like running into Antarctica. I bet you couldn't even come close to doing it. I bet you'd be dead in two days. And so would I. So impressive. Can we be impressed? Yeah, I think we can be impressed. Important discovery. Yeah, I would say important. But then again, if you're not impressed with Western civilization, if you if you think it was founded by marauders and rapists and, and we have no right to be here, you are free to leave anytime you want. You're free to do that. No one's going to stop you. And in fact, we talk about applauding. That is one thing that I will genuinely, sincerely applaud. I will give you a standing ovation as you take your ungrateful ass out of here. Okay, number two, HBO Max, the new streaming service, has dropped um, Gone with the Wind, the film classic, because its depiction of race is not woke enough by our standards today. So we have entered the book-burning phase uh, now. And since I've been reading great works of literature on the show today, let me read this from 1984, uh, George Orwell, of course. And uh, here's a, a relevant passage. It says, every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. What more needs to be said? That's where we are. This is not Orwellian anymore. It's just reality. Number three, here's an important PSA from Susan Meister, who's uh, apparently, she says, a PhD in religious studies, also a blue check on Twitter, very important person, podcast host. Uh, we're all very important to podcast hosts, you know. Anyway, she says in a since-deleted tweet, she says, white women, stop calling your friend group your tribe. It's appropriating Native American culture, and also it's really, really annoying. 
appropriating. And of course, uh, Susan is white herself, which, which you, you could probably already guess. Appropriating to say the word tribe. Yeah, very, very good point there, Karen. Uh, I mean, when I read about the tribes of Israel in the Bible, I'm always shocked and, and horrified that biblical writers in the Middle East 3,000 years ago were appropriating from Native American culture. Very, 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 very horrible stuff. Unless, of course, tribe is actually an English word with Latin roots that originally referred to the divisions of Roman society. All right, I think that's it. I think that's what it is. Glad we could clear that up. Number four, George Floyd's funeral, as mentioned, was yesterday, buried in a golden casket, um, as all saints deserve to be. Al Sharpton, of course, was on the scene. He gave the eulogy. Now, usually the eulogy is given by a family member or close friend or the local pastor, uh, someone who knew the deceased or at least had some kind of personal connection to him or his family, and, and therefore could actually talk about him and pay tribute to him and his life in a meaningful way. That's normally how the eulogy is handled. Um, Al Sharpton, I don't think, knew George Floyd, never met him, but he gave the eulogy. And here's how that went. All this family wants is justice. Oh, it's nice to see some people change their mind. The head of the NFL said, yeah, maybe we was wrong. Football players, maybe they did have the right to peacefully protest. Well, don't apologize. Give Colin Kaepernick a job back. Don't come with some empty apology. Take a man's livelihood. Strip a man down of his talents. And four years later, when the whole world is marching, all of a sudden you go and do a FaceTime talking about you sorry. Minimizing the value of our lives. You sorry, then repay the damage you did to the career. You stood down, cause when Colin took a knee, he took it for the families in this building. And we don't want an apology, we want him repaired. Okay, so we've got a guy who didn't know George Floyd giving a eulogy for George Floyd by talking about Colin Kaepernick and Roger Goodell. Great. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Now, as, as to the, the, the question of why Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job, it's actually because Colin Kaepernick is not a very good football player. Uh, he was a, a mediocre football player when he left the game like four years ago, and uh, he hasn't gotten better since. You know, you don't go from mediocre athlete and then you don't play for four years and you come back and you're a superstar. So that's the reason he's not, it's not, it's, it's really not a mystery. If Colin Kaepernick was, you know, had the talent of Lamar Jackson, let's say, he would be playing right now. I don't care what he did or said. I can guarantee you that. Right. Superstar quarterbacks are going to find a job. It doesn't matter what they do, what they say, how much of a jerk they are. doesn't matter. Colin Kaepernick is not a superstar quarterback, never was, will never be. And so he's just not worth the headache that comes with him. That's why he doesn't have a job. But none of this has anything to do with George Floyd, of course. So why, why is this being brought up? Um, oh, I know, I, of course, I know. These are, these are all... Rhetorical questions. I know why it's being brought up. I know why Al Sharpton is there. Al Sharpton is there because he's a race-hustling, opportunistic uh, creep. You know, so that that kind of, I guess, 
solves that mystery. Number five, finally, the LA Galaxy, which apparently is a soccer team because we apparently have soccer teams in this country for reasons that are unclear to me. Um, they have released Serbian soccer star Aleksandr Katai. They released him over offensive Instagram posts about the rioters. Now, here's the, the kicker, pun intended. They were not his posts. They were his wife's posts. So his wife sent out a couple of Instagram posts that were deemed offensive and racist. And so they fire him for what his wife said. That's where we are now. You don't just get fired for your own wrong think. You can get fired for someone you know, their wrong think. But this is kind of interesting because I guess what we're telling Alexander Katai is that he should have controlled his wife better. So he's being fired for not controlling everything his wife does and says. That's why he's fired. I don't know what the conversation was when they pulled him into the office, but essentially it boils down to, you know, you need to get a handle on your wife and controller. That's why you're fired. I mean, that's what they're saying. I'm not saying that. They're saying that. If you're going to fire a guy because of what his wife says, you're blaming him for what his wife says. The only way you could do that is if you are saying it was his responsibility to control what she says. That, uh, that to me doesn't seem very, I mean, that doesn't seem up to the woke standards. But this, this again, you, you see where the, the poor feminists, they always lose out. They're just going further and further down. Uh, they're descending the ranks of victims, the victim hierarchy. They're getting, they're getting booted from their spot left and right, further and further down the ladder. Eventually, feminists are going to be no better than conservative white men. You guys are going to be with us soon enough. I mean, welcome. Welcome down here to the pit, uh, because you know they they get soup all of their their agenda their priorities constantly getting superseded by more important victim groups. All right, let's move on to our daily cancellation. Um, speaking of with uh, speaking of of trouble with with wives, I've got to talk about that in just a second. Before I do, you know, there's so much going on this year in the news, and we've been talking about some of that today on the show. Um, and then, of course, the, the big problem is you have the left-wing media constantly pushing their agenda instead of doing actual reporting. When you can't get the real story, you have to go outside the narrative and just get the facts. So if you're a political junkie set on getting both sides of a story, you can get a reader's pass today from dailywire.com. You'll get access to exclusive op-eds from us, your podcast hosts, as well as uh, guest writers, many interesting people, in-depth analysis from our Daily Wire reporters on topics um, you know, ranging all across the news spectrum. This membership is, tier is already a bargain at $3 a month, but if you join today, you get your first month for 99 cents. Okay, you also get access to our mobile app. You receive push notifications for breaking news and special content, as well as you can join the community of Daily Wire members who are actively commenting and discussing our content with each other. That's mobile ad-free access to um, all of the Daily Wire news, exclusive op-eds, and more on our mobile app, all for the low price of $1. And best of all, your dollars are getting you the news you need without the leftist spin. So head over to dailywire.com slash subscribe and join today. Okay, for our daily cancellation, and this, guys, you know, is very hard for me always uh, to do this. Deeply painful. But I have no choice. I have to cancel my wife again. And let me tell you what she did this time. First, a little bit of background. Uh, two things you should know about me if you don't already. 
One is that I get into these little kicks where I, I order an obscene number of books uh, from Amazon in the span of a couple of weeks as I'm trying to restock my reading supply for the month the months ahead. So it's, it's sort of like a squirrel storing up food for the winter, except this is the nerd version of that. And um, I've been on one of those kicks recently. So I've been ordering a lot of books. And this uh, annoys my wife. Okay, for, for some reason, doesn't like the fact that there are six new books coming to the house every day. She thinks that that's a little bit overdone. I don't know why. Um, second fact is that I am an apiarist or beekeeper to you common folk. My wife is canceled for publicly shaming me on both of these counts. Now, here's the tweet that she sent out last night. It says, I can't, then with laughing face emojis. Her use of emojis, by the way, is a, is a secondary reason for canceling her. Uh, anyways, anyways, says, I, I can't. Uh, nice light reading came for you today, talking to me. Helped myself to opening your Amazon package. And then it's a picture of a book I ordered called Honeybee Democracy, about the social structure of a honeybee hive, in particular about the decision-making process of a honeybee swarm, uh, after, because honeybees swarm after a faction of the bees uh, leave the hive with, with the, the deposed queen, and uh, they're in search of a new place to, to live. And this book really gets into how they make that decision and how communication and navigation works within a honeybee swarm. Yes, I bought an entire book on that subject. Fascinating stuff. I read a couple chapters last night. I thought it was very interesting. But my wife is literally laughing at me publicly over this. And she even she takes she takes screenshots of the different pages of the book and then and then posts them too, like making fun of it. Because she finds it absurd for some reason that a man would read a book about bees or four books about bees in the past week, in my case. So um, let's go through this now. Let's list all of the micro and macro aggressions my wife has committed against me and not for the first time. Number one, she opened my package. Invasion of privacy. Unconstitutional. Federal crime. I could have her taken away in cuffs by federal agents if I wanted to. I could call the FBI right now and report that is a federal crime to tamper with mail. Second, she bee shames me. She shames me for my interest in bees. And if it seems like I, I'm taking that too personally, you know, if you don't understand, well, well, here's what you need to understand. That in my community, among those who identify as beekeepers, we have for so long had our identities marginalized and trivialized. You know, this is one of the reasons why people are very hesitant often to come out as beekeepers. I'll never forget the time when I worked up the courage to finally come out and gather my family and friends around and, and tell them, you know, I have something I need to tell you. It's very important to me. I've been thinking about this a long time. I'm a beekeeper. It is a very important and intimate moment in my life. Um, and this is, this, is, this is not something I'm choosing to be. This, this is my identity. This is my truth. And I'm going to live it openly and publicly. And I'm not going to be afraid of who I am. To have my own wife making a mockery of my deepest truth, otherizing me, erasing my identity, denying me the right to exist and be free. Well, that's just, that's, that's literally the worst thing that has ever happened to anyone. Ever. And all of this while my wife is a chicken farmer. She has chickens. 
Like, are you really going to shame me over my bees when you have chickens? Do you want to get into this competition? I don't think you do. Look at a beehive. 50,000 bees working as one seamless unit. A super organism. Graceful and industrious and productive. Meanwhile, I saw one of her chickens the other day eat his own poop and then run into a wall. So I don't think this is a debate that she wants to have. I really don't. And that's why she's canceled. Um, Hopefully the lesson has finally been learned. And um, and I'm really sorry, I got to keep airing dirty laundry on this show, but this is my safe space uh, and my outlet for talking about the persecution that I suffer, even in my own home. So, all right, let's, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for watching and listening, everybody. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Candy companies issue statements on the race riots. Never thought I would say that. The crime rate soars and the experts change their tune on coronavirus yet again. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.